Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the unprecedented podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. It is, let me see here, November 19th. Um, I am here today with Cliff Schechter, there we go, and Brian Gloss. Oh, didn't mean to make Brian the... <laughs> and Brian yeah, Thumbs Gloss. down. I mean, we're just meeting him, John. <laughs> Screw <on>. that guy. <laughs> Brian is a uh, professor at of political science at University College London, uh, very august European university. Although I don't know if we consider it European anymore. We'll have to talk about that um, after <laughs> Brexit, or or if they ever consider themselves European. And um, Brian's going to talk to us today about his new book, Corruptible: Who Gets Power and How It Changes Us. Um, Brian, I mean. I don't know, Cliff, let's just jump in. I wouldn't mind you telling us about the book first, and then we can chat a little bit about how we're all... So who gets the power, and how has it changed us? Yeah, tell us about this book. Yeah, so I'll tell you about it. So I basically, what I started my career, my academic research is studying dictators and despots. Um, And one of the things that I think started to become clear to me as I interviewed these people, because I've met a lot of former dictators and despots around over the years... um, And, and one of the things that became clear to me is that there's personality traits in them that are actually echoed, I think, in people that we know, um, yeah. that are obviously in smaller arenas of power and, you know, the homeowners association, the DMV, mid-level management, Congress. Um, so what I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to figure out sort of two big questions. You know, one is, does power corrupt or are corrupt people drawn to power? And the other is, does power actually change you? Right. Does it actually. And so to to figure this out, what I did was uh, I sort of had two approaches. One was I interviewed about 500 people um, and many of them were people who should not be in power (laughs) from (laughs) former cult leaders, bioterrorists, psychopaths, criminals, uh, corrupt CEOs. Generals have quite a Christmas list. Yeah, exactly. I mean, generals and military juntas, the whole the whole works. Hmm. Right. Um, But then I also did a lot of research based on things from evolutionary biology, neuroscience, political science, okay. behavioral economics, all sorts of stuff. And I put so it all together to try to nurture of dictators. In essence. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and what I'm, what I was really trying to figure out is, you know, the power corrupts tagline is I think quite unsatisfactory because it's not actually the whole story. I think it's a very, very small part of the story. <laughs> So the way I'll introduce this is with a a quick story that I have in the introduction of the book, which is a a lot of people have heard about that Stanford prison experiment where the the professor put everybody in prison uniforms and the guards started abusing people. Even made a movie, which which I'm sure. I said they even made that into a movie, which I'm sure some folks who didn't know about it probably I'm not familiar with this. Could you explain this real quick? Sure, yeah. So if you haven't heard of this before, this is in the 1970s, a guy named Philip Zimbardo at Stanford recruits some, some students, puts half of them in the role of prison guards, half of them in the role of prisoners in this fake jail in the basement of the psychology department at Stanford University. And very quickly, the prison guards start abusing their fellow classmates. I mean, wow. doing horrible things. And so the big takeaway from this, and it's a pod and intro psychology textbooks around the world, is that you know the uniform changes you, the power changes you. Now, what I found that hasn't gotten much attention, I think is a nice way to introduce some of the concepts in the book, is a study from 2007 where these researchers took the exact same recruitment ad. They said, you know, we want you for a study of prison life. They ran the same ad updated for 2000s prices, you know, so you get $70 a day instead of 15 bucks a day. And then they just changed the ad in half the towns to be for a study of prison life. And for the other half was for a psychology study. 
And what they okay. did, what they found was that in the, when they said for a study on prison life to become a prison guard, basically, right. the people who responded to the ad were basically worse people. They were Machiavellian, narcissistic, authoritarian, abusive personalities. The people who studied, who responded to the generic ad were not. They were representative, more of the general population. And so one of the core arguments of the book is that power is magnetic to corruptible people. It draws them in. And so then you have to think about the systems to counteract that effect. And I think that's a huge part of what I spend the better part of 250 pages exploring why that happens, who gets power, how it changes people, and how you can actually fix the process. That's fascinating. Although, can and, I, and I mean, yeah, go on, Cliff. Yeah, go on. No, I mean, I was going to say it sounds incredibly convincing when I think of studies of history and looking at sort of some of the folks who choose to put themselves in that situation, choose to run for office. Um, I, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. It follows. It doesn't mean, you know, we've, we've seen some people that obviously once they get there and they have that power, they completely change. Right. Um, but who, who is first attracted to it? I, I think, I mean, it's, it, that's fascinating. Can I, and, and maybe this is too big of a question to ask because it may be all 365 pages or whatever of your book, but, but power doesn't always, uh, the corrupt don't always win, right? I mean, you've got countries, okay, A, America, right? Up until now, at least in our recent memory, things went pretty well and then they didn't. Um, in lesser countries, <laughs> not going to name any so people don't get upset with me, sometimes you had bad people, sometimes you had Let's good say people. different countries, John. <laughs> I know, but you know, but I'm not going to say lesser. different. I, I really, no, but I mean lesser in this case. That's why I'm not naming even categories. But I mean, countries where you would think democracy might not be as good of a foothold or, or, okay, the, democratic, so democratic, or the democratic guess, culture. Yeah, or the democratic culture. You sometimes have good people, you sometimes have bad people. Um, is, it, is it a matter of in every situation, America to the worst despot, you know, Libya or where, or worse, uh, North Korea, bad, the bad people are always, the corrupt people are always attracted, but the institutions are able to stop them or the public or? Yeah, that's, it's a perfect question. So, so basically you've got an interplay between the individual and the system. Um, and you also want to be sure of what's actually happening because if a corrupted person gets power, you shouldn't change the system to fix it. You should change the person. If a system is causing people to become corrupt, you need to change the system. So diagnosing it is really important. Now, I, I talk about a study in the book where I think it illuminates this question really well, where what they did was they said, okay, you're going to roll a dice. And if you get a six, you know, every time you get a six, you get some amount of money, but you get to self-report your own scores. So you can write down whatever you want. So you can lie, right? Now, what they did when they did this in India, and they saw the people who were lying, the people who had all the sixes, one guy even put 42 sixes in a row, right? He was this audacious. <laughs> those, those people who were cheating- Donald Trump! Yeah, so in India, so in India, the people who were lying, they're also the people who wanted to join the civil service because that's where you get bribes, it's where you get kickbacks, et cetera. When they reran the study in Denmark, it was exactly the inverse. It was all the clean people wanted to go into the civil service. Hmm. So this is one of the things that I think is really dangerous about modern US politics where you know, we, we, we fit in this story is that you, know, you think about what's happening in the headlines right now in the modern Republican party. You have you know, Paul Gosar and people like him getting away with things. You have school board members facing death threats for doing basic acts of public health. You know? And you think, okay, who's going to be attracted to that system? Well, I mean, right. the worst people, right? right. I, I think that's the real problem is that when the system is rotten, the, the, the rotten people get drawn to it. 
And even if you design a better system, there is still unfortunately an effect that power has on people's brains. The neuroscience is pretty clear on this. That it, I'll just sorry, I'm just oh, waiting for oh, this. Sorry. The, <laughs> the neuroscience. Actually, that's, is can I just say that's like that normal is, police? I thought. Do you not have the crazy police sounds that the Europeans have? That's, that's the ambulance. So there you go. Yeah, oh, okay. Because <laughs> it's like eh, 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 in France, it yeah, freaks so, you out. Yeah. But so I mean, I think this is one of those things where you still have to counteract the effects of power because it is. <clears throat> It does actually change your brain chemistry. And I talk well, about that. There's a chapter on that in the book. I want to say, because I don't think I was very eloquent in what I was trying to say before. So let me try again. Um, that is what my worry is. And we talk a lot about this on this show, which is we had a democratic culture. It doesn't mean we didn't have authoritarians of all stripes. Obviously, the way the South was run until recently was authoritarian. But when it came to our national politics, you know, the culture of, 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 who looked up at you know the models in front of them and what chose them to want to run for office and all of that, you know, made it so that we you know we we had at least we had some great figures. We turned people that maybe weren't always great figures into great figures, and so people wanted to go into it for the most part. I think for the right reasons, and really in the post Nixon era, and people start souring on government. I think and all, but it's obviously been on cracks since Trump. I've said this for a while now. Like the Republican Party. You know, and, and how they elect people now, has be, it seems like it's like they've become flypaper for the worst among us, the most corrupt, the most extreme, the most conspiratorial. I mean, if you looked at that current crop right now, who would run? You know, what I mean, you're just you're not going to get people, even if I don't particularly love their politics, you're, you're not going to get many Mitt Romney's or Lisa Murkowski's. You're going to get I mean, look at Ted Cruz yesterday, who, you know, Joe Biden says he, he's going to Nantucket. And his response is to retweet him and say there once was a man from Nantucket. I mean, that's what we've got yeah. now, people looking up to, Josh Hawley. And I mean, I, 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 maybe you can answer this because there is a question at the end of my, my long blathering here, which is really, I don't know how, once you've opened that Pandora's box, how you get back to having a democratic culture that sort of, you know, that, that I'm trying to think of the right way, that, that sort of pushes forward the kinds of people you want in office, that celebrates those kinds of well, people. Well, can, I, can right? I put a finer point on it? it uh, very, and we told the story before, so I'm not gonna tell it long. At Georgetown, we had a professor who was telling us about sort of cultural violence in the Middle East. And once the assassination started, I think it was late 60s, early 70s or so, you had Jordan, you had a couple other places that there was a fear of it instilling a culture of assassination. Correct. And sort of the same thing. Have we, have we now not opened Pandora's box? And we're trying to uninvent nuclear weapons, so to speak, by saying um, we have shown how corruptible our system is. Ha ha, corruptible. Um, we've shown how corruptible our system is. And now how do we make it less corrupt and get less corrupt people to take over? Yeah, so it's a great question. So the first part of what you were talking about, Cliff, with the sort of undesirability of power in a way, I think is really important because this is where I bring this down to the local level even. I have I, I interviewed uh, people who've had amazing run-ins with homeowners association petty tyrants who uh <laughs> fantastic stories uh, we've, we've all had those that's funny yeah, that's yeah. Funny. and and the reason i bring that up actually the reason it's not because it's just a funny diversion it's actually because it teaches us a lesson which no, is that interesting yeah you know, like who wants to find your neighbor down the street if their trash bin is out four minutes too late right the right. only people who want to do that are the people who are drawn to power now in public service and good <clears> systems there's a, uh, there's a thing that balances that out because you think, okay, I'm getting the benefit of public service. I'm serving my community. I get some prestige along with it. Maybe this is worth it, right? It's, it's sort of worth the, the burdens of power. Right. But now when it comes to death threats and violence right. and you, know, you have to constantly uh, you know, placate lobbyists mm -hmm. and all this stuff, 
it's just, it's basically meant that the people who are good and decent in our society are no longer drawn to power seeking. The people who are awful in our society are. Now, how do we counteract that? So the last third of the book is talking about how you redesign systems and how you attract better people. And I have 10 different principles, which I won't go into the full detail here, but you have to think about from the very beginning, okay, in every system, and this is true of good systems and bad systems, power-hungry, rotten people are disproportionately drawn to power, disproportionately good at getting it, and disproportionately good at staying in power. Okay. Then take that as your given and redesign the system, which we don't do. How do you now, redesign the system? I mean, Ken, I don't mean that. I don't mean necessarily your details, but how do we redesign? How do we manage to do that in a country like this? We can't, re we can't even re redesign the voting laws. Yeah, I mean, so I think the U.S. case is, is slightly different from the broader picture. So I'll talk about the U.S. case, and then I'll talk about some of the broader principles. So, okay. I mean, in the U.S. case, the problem is, and I think this is why I'm quite pessimistic over the short to medium term, right. is that- So we're one of the lesser countries is what you're saying. Well, we're, we're in trouble. I mean, we're in trouble. And I, I think the reason we're in trouble is because I can't see a circuit breaker in the short to medium term with That's, the political culture yep. on the right, right? So, so what I mean by that is when I've studied authoritarian cultures and countries around the world, you know, the thing that often works to bring a party back from the brink is electoral wipeout, electoral defeat. Okay. Now, that's difficult to do when the party has already gerrymandered. It's difficult to do when uh, you know the media narrative around the people who actually listen to the media is Fox News, right? And Fox News is being drawn further to the right by OAN and Newsmax. So, right. you know, another way of having a circuit breaker is a massive crisis. I mean, we had January 6th and 750,000 Americans just died and it made the problem worse. Yeah. So I think we're in, we're in a real very, I mean, it's a very serious problem in the United States. Now, there are ways, though, that you can make people in power behave better. So, you know, for example, one of the things that I talk about is the principle of rotation and better recruitment. These are two very simple ideas, but they work really, really well. So in police forces, for example, when you rotate partners, you get far lower rates of collusion and abuse because you don't trust that the partners got your back all the time, right? You're, you've been working hmm. together for 15 years and think, right. okay, they're in on it, right? Huh. They'll 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 steal, you know, just as much as I steal, and they, hmm. we won't report each other. And there's lots of studies that show rotation actually makes a massive difference. Hmm. Recruitment for candidates is hugely important, right? Now in the U.S. context, the problem is. The, the base. It's not, it's not actually the candidates. It's that the base wants, in the Republican Party, in gerrymandered primary districts, you're looking at extreme politics. So there's not much you can do there. But in our society more writ large, better recruitment is, is crucial. I mean, I, I talk about this in an area that's tangentially related to what's going on with U.S. politics, which is our police recruitment. And, you know, I, I spend a, about 10 or 15 pages in the book looking at this juxtaposing U.S. police recruitment against New Zealand, where it's done much, much better. And basically what I looked at is there's, you know, there's this case in Doraville, Georgia, this town of 10,000 people outside of Atlanta, where the recruitment video is basically the Punisher logo followed by guys in a SWAT vehicle, a tank. <laughs> throwing smoke Attacking grenades. black people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, and it's like, it's a town of 10,000 people, right? There's a, oh there's a police force in a township in Indiana that has an amphibious assault vehicle. And there's one body of water in the whole county. It's a pond next to a farmhouse, right? So oh you so never you know when about... a couple of frogs are going to grab too many lily pads. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to be ready. Well, have I ever mentioned to you what a carnivorous beast my mom is? She 
loves steak and burgers, right? We grew up on them. I've never seen her so happy when I sent her Omaha steaks and burgers for Christmas one year. Holidays around the corner. Finding the perfect gift is tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. Go to omahasteaks.com right now and enter Stephanie in the search bar to order the perfect gift package. For $99.99, you'll get 24 entrees like the world-famous bacon wrap filet mignons, chicken breast, sides, desserts, and so much more. When you use the code Stephanie, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers free with your order. We've all heard the reports about shortages and shipping delays, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com. You'll get eight free burgers when you enter the code Stephanie. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. That's omahasteaks.com. The keyword is Stephanie, omahasteaks.com. Yeah, and so I was thinking to myself, okay, like, like, let's imagine you want to be a community police officer who just serves the community. You see that website, and you're like, okay, that's not for me, right? So what New Zealand did is they made a very glitzy, comedic recruitment video that portrays policing as uh, fun, funny, and caring. And the logo at the end is, do you care enough to be a cop? And actually, the perpetrator they're chasing throughout the entire video is a dog who's stolen somebody's purse, right? So like you juxtapose that against the tank, the punisher, the smoke grenades, right? right? And right. Punisher. And what they have, you know, in the end is they had a massive increase in the number of applicants from non-traditional backgrounds. And they said the personality types completely changed. Right. So right? it was the altruism versus versus I want to kill people. Exactly. And so I think, you know, my, my point is that, and I think I, I make this clear in the book, is that none of these individual principles are going to be a silver bullet. Okay, recruitment and retention are they help, but they're not going to solve our political culture problem. It's but can you I, before you move on, I'm sorry, but before you move on, so give us an example though, in a, maybe America won't work, but how would you then put that into practice? How would you put that into practice in politics then? That kind of example, like the, the cop example in New Zealand. Well, what you, what do, you do is you'd have much, you, you, what you need, for, first off, what you need to do is you need to make power safe, right? I mean, I think that's super important. That is actually very relevant for the US because Meaning? I- Meaning that I think that if you have to weigh up whether you're going to get harassed or face death threats or anything for being oh. in the public eye, okay. then then good, decent people who aren't power seekers are just going to say it's not worth it. They're going to bow boards, out. things like that. Yeah. Yep. And you also have to reform the system in the sense of like, you know, I, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this who have thought, oh, I'd like to run for office in the United States. And then they start to do a little research and yeah. they think, okay, I'm going to need a million bucks. Everything yeah. that's ever happened in my life is going to get raked through, right? We yeah. need to make power palatable to people who are generally good, decent people, right. but don't want to have all of the burdens associated with it that are, I think, unfair and unrepresentative of what the job actually entails. Is that possible, though? Is that not Pollyanna? I'm devil's advocating you, though, but is that not like, yeah, great, great idea. But again, you want us to inter- uninvent nuclear weapons and we're not going to have the, the press rake you over and the right wing rake you over? Well, I think I think we can. I mean, for example, money in politics. I mean, is it realistic that in 2021 this reform is going to get passed? No. But I mean, every other democracy on the planet that that works doesn't have our problem with money in politics. And I think it's a massive deterrent to people who are not drawn to fundraising, self-promotion, and to self-aggrandizement. I mean, I, I think that this is something where these these issues are solvable. I mean, there's also things that we can do in terms of thinking as political parties about who we want in office. You know, I think, I think some political parties occasionally don't recruit as deeply as they could, especially in areas that are, you know, less fertile territory for their electoral prospects, and it hurts the party over the long run. 
So I think, you know, recruiting good candidates who just be, they carry the banner of your party for a very long time in the community, over time, it makes politics better. Now, I don't think any of these things are a silver bullet, right? I think that one of the things that is, is a reality is that the U.S. is in a serious crisis right now. And I think it's because the political culture has been so warped. Um, I also right. think there needs to be accountability. I mean, one of the things that's really important is, is, and I talk about this a lot in the book, is that, you know, people's behavior changes based on a risk reward calculation of how much they feel they're being watched and scrutinized and how much they think the risk of consequences are going to affect them. And I think that the more that we have impunity in the United States for people who are behaving in ways that are, I mean, Paul Gosar would get fired anywhere in the United, if he was outside of Congress and he did that, uh, tweeted a video of him killing a colleague, he would be fired in yeah. any there'd be a loss. There'd be a massive lawsuit too. I would think there'd yeah. be a lawsuit too. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, so, that brings so, me kind of, well, hold on, I'll let you, I want to let you finish, but I want to bring up what I think maybe a circuit breaker could be. So go ahead. Sorry. No, I was, I was just going to finish the idea by saying that I think that these things are, they're not rocket science. They're just, they're tweaks that end up in aggregate making a big difference. And I think they can actually make a big difference because the United States used to work and it could work again. Okay. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I absolutely agree. So, I mean, for me, and, and this is where I spend a lot of my time on the show and Twitter, wherever writing, you know, one of the big circuit breakers to me seems, it seems could be the mainstream media. And I, I, and I say that, and I'm always careful to not be like enemy of the people or any, I mean, look, I write a column at the daily beast. I, I don't, you know, I can be arguably called the mainstream media. It's not like everybody, but the overall narrative, the overall focusing on one goofy thing to the detriment of everything else, the fake balance, it, it harms us because in the end, if people don't have honest information, they can't make good decisions. And democracy relies upon that. And what really drives me nuts, and Mitch McConnell with the money, with you know this kind of stuff, he pioneered some of this stuff years ago and realized, well, if, if the two newspapers in my state, Louisville Courier-Journal, Lexington Herald-Leader, actually lean liberal, if they're only going to editorialize against me every once in a while, but then the mainstream media, when they cover in the news, they're going to both sides everything. So I can lie, I can promote, you know, I can ignore the constitution and not do advise and consent on a Supreme Court justice. I can do all sorts of things like that. And then I can drown out any other voices with all of this money. Then, you know, I'm never going to have to, to answer, you know, to, to anybody. And so to me, if the pressure on the left, center, wherever you want to say, is enough. And it's coming now, starting to come from people inside the mainstream media, right? Mark mm -hmm. Jacobs, who I guess used to be at the Tribune, and I think was an editorial guy, has been talking a lot about this, how the media has failed. Because to me, I'll just sum it up. If you can get away with saying crazy right-wing stuff to your base, but then regular folks who are sort of maybe Main Street Republicans, whatever you want to call them, never have to hear about it or know about it, this is the dance that they get away with because mainstream media won't just say what the truth is. They have to balance it. That to me could be a circuit breaker. And yet we still, we, we get some great John Harwood refuses to play that game anymore. Like there are some folks who've just stepped out of it and are like, I'm not doing this anymore, but most still are. And I, I feel like that is harming us almost irreparably. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right. And I think you're diagnosing a problem, especially in the right wing ecosystem, which is that they are being pushed right by, OAN and Newsmax, where the Main Street Republicans yeah. never see this, but now Fox News is seen by Main Street Republicans, and they're getting more extreme as a result of this, right? Yeah. right. So I, I, we have a ratcheting effect. Um, I think that one of the things that I that that also speaks to this, which is something where, you know, I, I explore this at length in the book, is it's turning the mirror back on ourselves. And I don't necessarily mean you know the three of us, but I mean why is it that so many Americans are drawn to such awful leaders? 
I mean, that is, I think, a more profound question that we have to grapple with. And so one of the things that I look at is, you know, it, it's got roots that are beyond the headlines. So for example, there's a whole realm of, of scholarship uh, in a field called evolutionary psychology. And what they're basically saying is humans have been around for 200,000 years. Our brains are basically the same as they always have been, but our lifestyles have changed massively in say the last 20 gen generations, right? So what they're saying is, you know, it's, it's the, the, the sort of stone age mind inside right. of our modern skull. Uh, right. And yeah. now what does that do to us? Well, it means that, you know, when you have a figure like Trump, there's actually an evolutionary reason why if somebody manufactures a crisis, you know, the American carnage speech, and then says, I alone can fix it, that taps into something that's in our subconscious. Because mm -hmm. in times of crisis, we tend to gravitate towards strong men. I mean, it's literally, that's, the, that's what the term means. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Trump is not, you know, necessarily physically strong, but he's a large male. <laughs> and, he's definitely and, not physically and, strong, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I'm this sorry, is- I'm being a jerk, go ahead. No, but it's, I mean, it's, it's something where, you know, Putin- He is a strong man, Trump photos. is absolutely a strong man. Personality yeah, yeah. and charisma, and I mean, we don't like him, but he's, he, yeah. he's boisterous. He's, yeah, yes. I always he's, say- corporate, He plays the role. I always say corporate boardroom, Cliff. That's the example I always give is, who could you imagine being in an old style corporate boardroom with a cigar and the whole, Trump. Right. And well, I think, you know, I Putin's- even, Putin's no, the no, same I mean, like way. I was going to say. Sorry. Yeah, go. Yeah, yeah I was just yeah. going to say Putin's the same way. I mean, you, yeah. he, you know, he's shirtless and he takes these <laughs> yeah, photos. It's like, you know, imagine imagine yeah. a CEO doing this to sort of inspire the troops. I mean, it's insane, but it taps right. into this mentality. And and there's lots of studies that show this, where you you prime people and say, okay, you know, which leader do you want? You know, things are going fine. The economy's growing, and then you have a different group, and you say, you know, it's there's a time of crisis or there's immigrants coming in that's or there's a war, the leaders they select in those simulations are different. Oh, that's and so, you know, yeah. I, I think that there's something happening with our media and with our, 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 you know, citizenry that is actually deeper than just the sort of back and forth Republican Democrat battles that we have to acknowledge these stupid cognitive hmm. biases if we want to counteract them. Hmm. Well, I, I would say quickly, I mean, you know, you bring up evolutionary biology. I've always sort of believed in, you know, if you read work by Drew Weston, The Political Brain, you know, and he went a lot into sort of, yeah, we have newer, you know, newer ability to reason, right? The newer cerebral cortex on top of the old stuff still there, the fight or flight, the, and this is what they tap into in, in times of crisis, you know, and what worries me the most is, you know, when people say, oh, you know, with Trump, a classic example, oh, he's just a buffoon. He's just a, you know, and I'm like, you guys should have seen, you need to read how the New York Times was writing about Hitler in the 1920s. He was a failed artist. He was a buffoon. And everybody else was like this clown, you know, and, and the people, everybody's like, okay, don't, don't bring up the Nazi example. More recently, I think of Idi Amin, who everybody thought was a buffoon, but it's the buffoons who ignore those social cues. The rest of us say, like, I can't say that. I can't take a picture shirtless on a on a course, they do that stuff because they lack the shame the rest of us have. They've got that strongman instinct and they tap into that thing. And so the buffoons are who we actually need to be the most scared of is what I would argue. I, I think that's right. I mean, I've, I've said this to people throughout the last five years that I think if Mitch McConnell tried to do the same things that, uh, that Trump did, people would actually be more alarmed because they'd say this is a strategic actor who's rational. And right. so, you know, whereas with Trump, it's like, oh, he was just joking. And, you know, all, all of us are understanding, no, this is not a joke, right? This is actually happening. But a, a lot of people who are not right. active, political, you know, engaged people think, oh, he was just, it was just a tweet. You know what I mean? Ryan, let me ask you with that, though. Then are we falling into the trap 
it's not really a trap because you have to address it. But by talking about January 6th, by talking about Trump, by having this discussion with you today, are we not feeding just justifiably feeding into a culture of fear and panic that per se makes voters say, well, gosh, in that case, I want a Republican strongman. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fair question, but I think when you can accurately diagnose actual crises, you still have to respond to that. Right? No, I agree. But I mean, but I mean, is there is there I worry that there's an element of the very discussion we're having and the panic sure. we're all having as as I wouldn't even say Democrats as good Americans, because good never Trumpers, too. But that we're creating a situation where the public at large goes, you're right, things are falling apart. We don't elect a liberal Democrat for that. We elect a conservative Republican when things fall apart. Yeah, well, it's the reason why I think that, I mean, I think that there are certain people who are mo more predisposed than others to that message, right? I think there is a divide in our society of who's going to be much more susceptible to the strongman argument. And I think those people have already been captured, basically. I okay. think that those people are already drawn to Trump. They're already drawn to Trumpism. And I think that the the actual the reality is that there's more Americans who are not right. I mean that's that that's the good news. I think that in this situation, because it's institutional threat. In other words, it's the system itself. You have to sound the alarm. I think that when people, you know, if people made an, a, a Nazi comparison about something related to policy or taxes, you know, that is hyperbole because we those yeah. debates are normal. But I think that when you have comparisons about authoritarian movements that strip away the democratic character of the country, you actually have to be aware that, you know, the U.S. came close to something very, very serious on January 6th in the sense of, uh, you know, a real concerted effort to put somebody who lost an election into power. Right. And that is the definition of an undemocratic country. So, I mean, I, I think that this is something where you're right. We don't want to be trying to prime people. And we'd also don't want to, but it's also, a, it's a supply problem, right? I mean, in other words, if the Democrats had somebody running who was a strongman figure, then I'd be more worried about this, but there's yeah. no supply, yeah. right? There's yeah. on, on the left, the, the alternative is yeah. Joe Biden. So it's like, and potentially Kamala Harris. So I think it's one of these things where you're like, okay, yeah, I could, I could see that argument if the supply was also a strongman on the left, but it's not. So well, I think but a lefty strongman could be more effective. I don't, I, when I say strongman on the left, I don't mean somebody who's a tyrant, but does that mean on the left in times of crises, we need someone, man or woman, who's more of a kick-ass that the public well, goes, I, mean, I like let me, them. Let me answer your question, because I was going to say yeah. something for a second on that, John, which is, I mean, a classic example to me, that's John's dog, by the way, Brian. That's my dog, sorry. Hi, sometimes. Yeah. Um, but but, um, but I think of FDR. I mean, he wasn't a tyrant, but he spoke with the confidence, you know, and the ability to get up and project strength. And and oh, I would argue that Democrats needed that. In, the, in other words, no, not an actual strongman, not an actual dictator. I mean, some people would say FDR had a little bit of it in him with the court backing and some of the other things that went on. But but he had the confidence of who he was and what he believed. And I feel like right. we need that much more to have candidates of that ilk yeah. when we're in a time when people feel unsettled. Yes. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think that there is, and there's there's some stuff I do talk about in the book that that taps into this question of certainty in the time of crisis. It's not just strongman mm -hmm. figures; it's also people who have visions. Um, and I drift briefly into a discussion, which I think is is interesting, but it's a bit strange of meerkats and African wild dogs and how they use uh, certainty. Well, now I'm definitely the book, the, like, by the way, are they the, are they the like stand yes, up? Exactly. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So no, but there's, there's this, there's amazing research because they have different approaches to how they try to convince their followers to, to move. Huh. And, you know, in, in some, in some species, it's literally just the, the alpha says we go and they go. 
but in others, there's sort of the, the act of confidence, how much certainty they, how much uh, determination they issue the move call with actually really matters. And so I think there's some of that in humans. I think that we have a, a level of uh, panic that happens during times of crises. And some people are drawn to strongman in that figure, in, in that instance. Other people just want someone who says, I have an answer. I can that's actually right. fix this yeah. problem. And I think that, you know, that's where vision and that goes into the political brain and some of these other ideas that have been around for a while is that vision is crucially important to good leadership. Hmm. I mean, you have to show people where you're heading. Um, but I also think that, you know, you know, this is a moment of it's, it is a moment of profound political crisis in the United States. And I think the idea that any one individual is going to save us, I think is naive because I think that the system is, is really what's wrong right now. And I, right now. Let's, I mean, let's only cause I, I keep trying to like hurry cause you scare, I think you told me you only had 45 minutes. So I'm like, oh shit, we gotta get back to Brian. Um, tell us some things we can do. Don't tell us things America can't do. Tell us some things America can do that maybe can make things better. Sure. So first things first, I mean, as an individual- Read Brian's office, book, I would start with, obviously. Uh, there you go, <laughs> corruptible. Yeah. That's right. I mean, the first thing, you can run for office in, in your local area. I mean, I think this is something where, I know it sounds trite, but it's actually something that isn't happening, uh, where I think increasingly good, decent people are not doing this and they're, and they're uh, opting out of it. I think we can push for serious reform. The Democrats, for example, are wielding power right now, and they're doing very little to reform the system. I think another issue is you need to get rid of gerrymandering. I mean, gerrymandering is something that's so corrosive to our system. And it's not just for the obvious reasons, right? It's, it's for things like when you think about whether politicians actually have empathy, whether they care about people who are affected by their decisions, we've engineered a system with gerrymandering where they only have to care about their supporters. Because most districts in the 2016 uh, election, the average margin of victory was 37% in house races. So a 70-30 landslide was pretty much the, the emblematic case. Now, if that's the case, what are you gonna do? You're gonna listen to the Republicans if you're a Republican and the Democrats if you're a Democrat, because you can't lose a general election. Your only worry is a primary, yeah. Yeah, all, your only worry is a primary. So what do you do? Okay, well, you, you've just put the corruptive influence of power on steroids, because now you just you view the other side as an abstraction that you don't even have to think about. That's true in our media silos too. Now, these are big things we have to solve, but Democrats can start doing this, right? They can start by voting reform is obviously crucial to it, gerrymandering reform, massively important, and actually finding ways to hold people accountable for criminality or corrupt behavior in the Republican Party. And I think that is something that, you know, has just been woefully inadequate. This is slightly unrelated to my, to corruptible, it's more interest, more um, my work on authoritarianism. But when I've traveled around the world and studied the breakdown of democracy, the rise of authoritarianism, the places who act too late, they often never recover their democracy. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to rebuild a democracy. Protecting one when you have the warning lights blinking red and you have power, I mean, that is a good situation to be in yeah. if you're willing to exercise it. And the Dem you know, this would be a different situation if the Democrats didn't have the Senate, the House, and the White House, but they do. You know? and, I, and I think this except, is also- well, Except where we don't because of Manchin and Cinema. Well, yes, but I mean, I think on some of the issues, they'd be willing to come along on things that are still positive. And I think, I think this is also where you need to have, you know, some wily tactics that are willing to get things over we the We need line. to be what willing to step out. That's the problem is so often we get caught in the, well, it hasn't been done that way before. And yeah. we're staring in the face of people that ignore laws, rules, norms, and there are things we can do to respond. And I've said the only time in the last decade 
I can think of where I've seen anybody respond in the Democratic Party with what was necessary was when Harry Reid got rid of the filibuster for lower judges and because McConnell was blocking him at such a level. And he was like, this is ridiculous, you know, and, and, and that we finally did something about it. Every other time that they've stepped over the line, we've just sort of we slap him on the wrist or don't do anything. Yeah, and I think you know the idea of protecting the filibuster while democracy dies is the absurd uh, situation <laughs> we find ourselves in, right? Like, yeah. let's have this rule, this arcane rule in the Senate, but then let's have you know the min- minority rule for perpetuity. It's just it's a bizarre state of affairs. But I do think you know one one of the things that I do talk about in the book is this idea of the dirty hands problem, where sometimes politicians to do the right thing have to get their hands dirty. This happens all the time in politics, and I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not condoning it. But you know, Abraham Lincoln wheeled and dealed in order to end slavery. <laughs> he basically used right. political kickbacks to do this. I mean, Winston Churchill during World War II let ships get sunk by Nazis, even though he could have warned them because he didn't want to give away the Enigma machine codes and understood the bigger picture. I mean, I think at some point you have to say when you get to these levels of power, you want to have the the absolute big picture in the front of your mind. And this is where I watch the Democrats now. And I think, you know, these people who are worried about being branded as a partisan, it's like, yeah. you're going to be gerrymandered yeah. out of your district. Yeah. You know, like you're not going to have a competitive election. The election officials are going to be some crackpot who thinks yeah. that, you know, Donald Trump should be president right now. To hear the rest of this episode, become a premium subscriber to the Unprecedented Podcast by going to patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast. And with a $5 a month or more subscription, you not only support the show, but you get access to this episode and all of our premium episodes, including all of our great guests. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your support.